0: Yesterday was my and Julie's 39th wedding anniversary, and um, typically what I do every year is I purchase the card and gifts at the same time I purchase Christmas gifts, and that way I don't have to go scrambling around, I think about it ahead of time. I'm well prepared, and so just to give you a little bit of insight into how this year came about, the uh, our, we'll celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary next next year, and actually have begun our 40th year, you know, today. So, as a, as a gift to ourselves, uh, one of my bucket list items has always been to go to Israel, and so this march as a joint gift to one another our 40th wedding anniversary gift is going to be to take this trip to to israel and i'm really looking forward to that so you know there's that big thing on the horizon and then this last week my wife she's always getting invited to these parties so there's some lady in our church back home in hendersonville that had invited her to come to a jewelry party. I don't know why she cannot tell him no, that she cannot go, I'm busy. Uh, uh, You know, something about that truth thing and all that. And so she goes to the thing and she walks through the door and somehow you can tell when she's trying to tell you something. And she said, I bought something tonight. And uh, I I don't know what the cost was, but it it was pretty good. And uh, anyway, so she came home wearing it. And uh, our daughter went with her. I thought she was going for, you know, she had my back and she would be there for her support and give her a little. But no, that didn't work out. My daughter didn't get anything, but my wife did. And she said, so happy anniversary to me. Okay. So so you seeing what's going on here? Okay. So... She has a really early breakfast meeting yesterday, which is our anniversary yesterday, and she's up and gone before I get up. And I I didn't get up real early, but it wasn't late either. I mean, and I look over at my phone, and it's like all these text messages saying happy anniversary from different friends. And this panic washes over me. I have no card. I have not done anything, you know, beyond what I've already shared with you to celebrate this wedding anniversary, but I feel like you better do something. <laughs> and so she's gone. I don't know the exact time she's coming home. But, man, I am throwing on, <laughs> I'm throwing on clothes and grabbing keys and billfold. And, and I am off like a shot to Kroger, who has a wonderful, by the way, Has a wonderful flower shop. I mean, it's it's not it's not pitiful. It's really good, and so I dash off to Kroger and I walk in and I place my order for you know she loves tulips so I picked out you know these tulips I you know a nice arrangement. Can you do that for me? She said, When do you want to get it? I mean, like fifteen minutes ago. And she's thinking I got all day, you know, to come. I'll come back. She'll take her time and fix it. And I said, No, I need this right now. And so while I'm standing there, I'm waiting for them to fix it. And I walk over to around the store trying to kill some time, not put too much pressure on her. You know, I want her to do a good job. And while I'm over there, I see the candy aisle. And I see these Hershey's Kisses. And so the flowers get all done. They look, they're really beautiful. Just like I had thought, you know, got them way in advance and everything. And, and... I, you know, I'm, I'm going uh, with these flowers and these Hershey kisses, and I'm checking myself out, and I'm on my way home, and I put the garage door up, and her car is in the garage. She's back home. But when I walk in the house, I'm looking around. I don't see her anywhere. She's nowhere to be found inside the house, so I figure I can slip inside Put these flowers on the table, and I get this idea. My idea was, I arranged the Hershey's Kisses in the number thirty-nine, and I, you know, I outlined it with these Hershey's Kisses in front of the bouquet of flowers. Well, while doing that or in that process of doing all of that, I get this text message from her saying where are you and I said I'm working out (laughs) and later I told her she said working out you aren't working out you were I said no I've never run so fast in all my life (laughs) oh boy now that is just a big way to tell you that, that somehow, way, God in his wisdom had a plan that I should be born and that my wife should be born and that our lives would have purpose and he would bring us together and he had a plan for us. And as Andy mentioned earlier, today is sanctity of human life. Sunday, where we're joined together with literally hundreds of thousands of believers around our our nation, and many, many, many churches are joining together on this day because on this day, January 22nd, in 1973, the Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade uh, was uh, uh, decided in the favor of abortion on demand. And so it put in danger uh, the lives of unborn children. In fact, uh, for uh, that period of time, the most unsafe place to be in America was in a mother's womb. Now, every life has meaning and purpose. And so what we have in the Bible is we have a warning that I think the principles today that we're going to discuss were excellent principles that should have been also or could also be applied to the observance we had last Monday when we observed Martin Luther King's uh, uh, junior and what he did for us and uh, our nation. And so he took action. He didn't just sit there. He did something. He acted. And so we know that this uh, last year, Uh, the Supreme Court uh, made a decision and uh, that decision was to reverse the decision of Roe v. Wade but we know how fragile laws are and the definition of life does not rest first of all we need to understand the definition of life doesn't rest with the government ever God is the one who defines life And so what I want you to hear this morning from God's word is a warning about knowing when we should do something, but just sitting there and not doing anything about it. And I want you to follow along in God's word as we read in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 11 and 12, it says this, rescue those being taken off to death and save those stumbling toward slaughter. If you say, but we didn't know about this, won't he who weighs hearts consider it? Won't he who protects your life know? Won't he repay a person according to his work? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that it's unbiased, and yet it always tips in our favor because Your word speaks of your love for us, your care for us, your concern for us, your desire for us. And thank you, God, that every time we read anything in the scripture, it's always for our good. It's always intended to bring about your best for us in our lives. And we pray today you would take the word of God. And as only you could speak to the heart of every individual in here. And may it be your voice that is the loudest voice heard this day that all other voices would drown out so that we might hear you speaking to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want us to do is I want us to unpack, unpack these two verses. And I want to do it bit by bit. I want to first of all go back and I want to look together at that 11th verse if you'll turn your attention to that verse with me you'll notice that it mentions death the death that is spoken of in verse 11 it could be physical death it could be spiritual death actually it could be any other misfortune but as you read the verse it's talking about being taken off whether it's being uh, they're being taken off by others or they're stumbling toward disaster on their own those who are on the path to disaster need to be rescued that's what it says Verse 12 says, don't try to play dumb with God. If you know about something, don't pretend you don't know about it. God knows the hearts of people. He knows what's going on in every detail of our lives. And it says in verse 12 that inactivity is complicity. To do nothing is the same as to agree with something. God can withdraw his protection, the verse says, and repay a person for his or her sinful inactivity. Now let's take it and let's put it together. And when we put it together, what we find is that Scripture is telling us God expects us to speak for those with no voice being treated unjustly. And specifically for those who are in danger of death. If we don't act, Scripture tells us God will hold us accountable. So the question is, what must we do? Well, first of all, we must continue to affirm the value and dignity of all human life, born and unborn. I want you to consider some passages with me. First of all, look with me to Psalm 139. And I want you to listen to the psalmist as he speaks to us beginning at the 13th verse, Psalm 139. For it was you, Lord, who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. This is the strongest statement on God's prenatal care given in the Bible. How much does God know about the unborn baby growing in the womb? Everything. (laughs) He's a skilled weaver, and the scripture tells us that like a skilled weaver, God takes the tiny hands and the legs and he joins them to the body and he forms the heart and then he sets it beating and he watches over the thumb and he makes sure it finds the mouth. Who makes babies? You don't get Duck 103 because Duck 101 and 102 decide to get together. You get Duck 103 because God's in the creating business. Who makes babies? God does. Now listen to the words of Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. Now what's this telling us? Scripture tells us that when we see the unborn, what we ought to see is we ought to see the handprints of God, the fingerprints of God. There is creation. And we ought to proceed with holy caution and respect for life. God's at work in the womb, and His fingerprints are everywhere. When anyone touches an unborn child, they're touching the handiwork of God. Now let's look at Luke chapter 1, verses 41 and 44. And I pull out these two verses because it's a conversation And it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, a part of a Christmas story. It says that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her leaped inside her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 44 says, for you see when the sound of your greeting. Now this is Elizabeth talking to Mary, her cousin. For you see when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in me. Leap for joy. Now, this is the story of Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, going to greet Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist. And when these two expectant mothers greeted each other, Elizabeth's baby, that was yet to be born John the Baptist, leaped for joy in the womb. What is fascinating is when you begin to look at this uh, passage in the Greek language, what you discover. Is that in the Greek language, the word that is translated baby is the word braphos And that is the same word that is used in Luke chapter 18 verse 15 and passages like where Jesus says, Let the little children come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. The word baby is brephos and the same word is used elsewhere for Infant. What it demonstrates to us is a biblical understanding that the unborn child is fully human. Who gives life? God Almighty. Who causes the unborn baby to survive inside the womb? God Almighty. Who takes the little hands and feet and eyes and nose and lips and assembles them in the womb? God Almighty. You see, God puts the highest value on human life because God is in the creating business. Unborn children are just as valuable to God in His sight as those who happen to make it out of the womb. So, when we wake up in the morning and we think about our lives, we think that, you know, I'm not here by accident. God had a plan for my life. He had his eye on me from the very beginning before there was any of me in existence. And from the very start of my life, everything about my life has been planned out by God. My life has special purpose. Now, though it may be unpopular, what we must do, secondly, is we must continue to speak out. Look again at Proverbs 24, 11, and 12 with me. It says, rescue those being taken off to death. Save those stumbling towards slaughter. If you say, but we didn't know about this, won't he who weighs hearts consider it? Won't he who protects your life know? Won't he repay a person according to his work? What it's saying is to do nothing in a time that is difficult is a disaster. This passage asks us to consider the sobering reality. Picture thousands of people being loaded into boxcars on a train and being carried off to the Nazi death camps. This train is a one-way ticket to death. The people on this train are headed for mass murder. Now you and I are standing there and we see it happening. What will we do? Proverbs 24 is a solemn warning against those who make excuses for not getting involved. It's too messy. People won't understand. I can't risk my reputation like that. What if somebody sees me? I might get arrested. It's not my place to say anything. I can't change the world by myself. Why should I do something? And on and on what happens is we carry on this argument with ourselves against personal involvement. And slowly the train chugs out of the station. It's too late to do anything now. there are always plenty of convenient excuses. But for Corrie Ten Boom, there was no other way but to act. When she saw the Jews being herded off to the concentration camps, her Christian faith propelled her into action. One by one, she hid these people who were condemned to death, she hid them in her attic. And eventually the authorities discovered what she was doing and for her punishment, they arrested her and her family members and gave them the same punishment of those they were hiding and though they were not Jewish themselves, they were put on the train and headed to the death camp to die along with those they had been hiding. In that death camp, her sister and her parents died. Only Corey survived to tell the story. Later when she was asked why did you get involved? She simply answered I had no choice. I had to do something. Friends, we can't do everything but we can do something. And I think back on the life of Dr. Martin Luther King and what his actions cost him. Cost him his reputation with millions and millions of people. But he looked at an issue and he saw it. I have no other choice. Corey ten Boom looked at an issue and said, I have no other choice. I have to do something. I can't just sit here and do nothing. Friends, when the Bible speaks, we must speak. We're not in a popularity contest here. We're in a truth contest. When the Bible says life begins at conception that God is in the creating business, we have to speak that out. And then we have to put feet to our words. We we have to take action. There's another thing we must do. We must continue to love all people to Christ, one person at a time. You know, as believers, God has given us a weapon, and it's one of the most underused weapons in the Christian life. The weapon is prayer. We try everything else, we try reason. We try arguing. We try getting ourselves all tied up inside anxiety and getting locked up. When God has given us the weapon of prayer. And this weapon can literally change the world. Listen to what the scripture says. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. People can change. I've changed. If you know Jesus, your life has changed. If you know Christ, your life should be in the process of changing. And the Bible tells us it is in a process of changing to become like Jesus. Jesus. people can change. And when you get a moment, I want to encourage you to do something if you've not already done it, and if you have already done it, you can speak to others and tell them how it impacted your life. But I want you to take some time and write this down. It's simply Unplanned. Unplanned is a movie, a a documentary actually, about the life of... um, Abby Johnson, and if you don't know who Abby Johnson is, she was the head of Planned Parenthood. But Abby Johnson changed. She saw what was going on, and she changed. People prayed for her. People loved her. And Abby Johnson changed. She left Planned Parenthood and she became the most public advocate for the unborn in the United States. You know, hundreds of people every day choose life for their unborn child because somebody gently loves them, persuades them, prays for them, cares for them. Guides them, explains to them what their alternatives are. And most women, if you interview them, who've had an abortion, most of them will tell you they really didn't want to. But they felt backed into a corner by some awful circumstances of life, and they really just didn't see any other way out. I want to wrap up my message with a few action steps. After all, the messages don't just sit there. Do something. What are we to do? Number one, we need to fast and pray for America. Friends, the problem isn't that God has stopped listening. It's that his people aren't calling on him. Jesus, when he was tempted by the devil himself, said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we evaluate our lives, you know what we find? Is that we are among the most self-absorbed people in the world. We have everything. We have everything. Access to so many things, so many privileges. We have access to food. We have access to shelter. We have access to money, rights, privileges. We are the most self-absorbed people on the planet. Oftentimes, we're so self-consumed, we're more interested in bread for our stomachs than we are bread for our souls. That's not an amen, that's an oh me. This year while reading through the Old Testament with my discipleship group, I kept coming across these people who were fasting and praying. And I realized that this has been something that Jesus talked about often. Jesus didn't say, if you pray. Jesus said, when you you fast, when you pray, when you give. Jesus assumes we will fast and we will pray. And I looked at my life and I saw this as one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines in my life. And I know when you're fasting, you're not supposed to tell people. In fact, you're supposed to just go on as normal and not let anybody know about it. But it, it led me to make a, a commitment. And this year, every Wednesday, every week, I'm fasting and praying. I want to see God work, I don't want to see just what can happen if I do my best. I need God's help to do above and beyond what I can do, even when I do my best. I want God's best. And I think of all the churches I've served and all the places where I've been and the great things that I have seen God do. And I think to myself, what might he have done if I had really relied upon him? At the end of the day, fasting is a way to say to God, what this world has to offer really doesn't matter to me. What do you want? You do what only you can do, God. That's what we need. What might happen in your marriage if you fasted and prayed? What might happen in our church if we fast and pray? What might happen in our pastor search if we fast and pray? What might happen if we as a church hit our knees and say, we're tired of doing church, same old, same old, as best we can based on our talents? Listen, this church is blessed in incredible ways. Where's the power of God? People can change. It happens when we fast and when we pray. We need to secondly speak out in the name of Jesus Christ. That means taking the stand for life. Whether it's it's in the office, it's on the job, it's in the classroom, in the neighborhood. When we talk to friends, when we talk to loved ones wherever we go. We speak out. Thirdly, we need to reach out with a message of love to the women who've had abortions and the ones who are not mentioned, which are the men who advocate for and encourage them to have an abortion. We don't talk a lot about that. Well, pastor, what about freedom of choice? I'm not trying to be funny here. And I'm not angry at anybody here. We all have freedom of choice. It's called abstinence. Now, once you... Ignore that choice. You've you've made your choice. And there are consequences when you make that choice. Now, the worst thing that can happen to you is not that God has gifted you with a child. There are women who are listening now in this room and listening online who've had an abortion. And there may be a lot of pain. In your life, I would assume there is. You may have felt trapped or pressured into it, and maybe you had a boyfriend who got you into trouble and then he walked away. Maybe you knew what you were doing, but now you feel the moral ramifications of your decision. If you've not heard anything else, hear this. We don't condemn you. We love you. We love you, and we want to share with you the same love that God has shared with us in Jesus Christ. And I think, fourthly, What do we need to do? We need to support those on the front lines of caring. As Andy mentioned this morning in our opening credits, it includes the crisis pregnancy centers, the adoption agencies, the foster parents, and those taking in unwed mothers. Opportunities abound for us to volunteer and get involved, to not just sit there but do something. We can volunteer, we can furnish supplies, we can make financial contributions to benefit these places. It includes all those who love and work with little children. It's an army of doctors and nurses who are involved in the care for infants and young boys and girls. It includes school teachers, and it certainly includes those who rescue children from brutality, abuse, slavery, sexual exploitation. And God bless all the Sunday school teachers, those who volunteer in vacation Bible school, and children's choir leaders, and those who serve in extended session during our worship services. God bless those who take in foster children, those who adopt children, those who care for children with special needs. We need to support those who are on the front lines of caring. A football game has been described as 22 people on a field, badly in need of rest, and 80,000 people in the stands, badly in need of exercise. (laughs) There are people on the front lines of caring who need rest. And there are many others who are in need of exercise. I want to say to you lastly this morning that we need to get down to the root of the problem. What is the root of the problem? We need to practice sexual purity And teach it to our teenagers and children by example. How do we do that? Stop looking at porn. When programs come on TV or movies are released where sexual misconduct is made light of, a joke. The more and more we expose ourselves to that, the less and less sensitive we become to the Holy Spirit's conviction that that's not God's best. We're going to have to change hearts if we want to see this country changed. And the only way that's going to happen is through Jesus Christ. And so what we need to do is we need to keep on loving others. One person at a time. We need to speak out for all human life from the moment of conception to the moment of death. From the unborn child to the senior adult. And share the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. I don't think I've agonized over any message I have ever preached. More than I did this one. And I'll tell you why. I don't think it's to my credit, but I'm not an issues preacher. I just preach the Word. And my favorite way of preaching is, let's just take a book and work through it. You know what I found out when you do that? It touches on every issue. And that's my approach. So you cannot imagine how uncomfortable doing something like this was for me. But now is the time of decision for us to not just sit there, but do something. And I want us to stand to our feet right now, and I want us to lead us in a time of prayer. And here's what I believe this morning. I believe there's going to be a response to God's invitation today to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I believe there are people in this room who would love to talk to someone. And we have some female counselors here who are experienced, who are going to be here at the front, who are available to talk with you, to pray with you. And then we have uh, Andy's going to be here at the front. And I want to invite you to come to faith in Christ today. And if you already know Jesus, to follow him in believer's baptism. And beyond that, if you want to talk to somebody about something that's happened in your past, listen, the past is the past. You can't undo that. But you can make a decision about this point, how you will deal with those things in your past, and how you will live your life from this point forward. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and to pray with me right now, would you please? Abortion is a sin because we know that the Ten Commandments, the Sixth Commandment, says thou shalt not murder. But I want to tell you this, it's not an unpardonable sin. You know there's no person in this room who has not broken one or more of the Ten Commandments? The only person who has never ever kept the commandments, all of them, is Jesus. And he came into this world and he kept those commandments in obedience to God so that he might be a a sinless sacrifice for us, that he might give his life for us as a sacrifice on the cross, a perfect sacrifice. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. That puts all of us in the same condition. It applies to you whether you've had an abortion or not because we're all in the same boat. We're all driven to the cross of Jesus because that's our only hope of forgiveness. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. If you're struggling with guilt because of an abortion or any other sin, Wouldn't it feel good to be clean today? You need to know that God loves you. That he's never stopped loving you. He never will. And today, if you hear Jesus knocking on the door of your heart, open the door and welcome him in. I'm going to pray, and then after I pray, we're going to sing a hymn of response. I expect there's some people in here who are doing business with God. Maybe today will be the day you come forward and talk with someone about your need for Christ or talk with somebody just to ask for prayer, encouragement. We'd like to give that to you and show you how much we love you and care for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for having a plan for our lives, for bringing us into this world that we're not just floating on the wind without purpose but that, Father, you died on the cross for us because every person has value. That you have plans for us. And the value you place on our lives is felt and seen in the death of Jesus on the cross, that you loved us so much that you were willing to send your one and only Son to die for our sins, that through believing in him, Through confessing our sin, admitting our need, admitting that we can't save ourselves, but that we're hopelessly lost. Father, thank you for Jesus dying on the cross in our place and taking our punishment that we deserved. And today, Lord, we want to profess our faith in Jesus. And to follow him and to let others know that we're following Jesus. That could be your decision today. Andy's going to be here at the front. Others are coming. Would you come right now as we sing right now? First verses, you come right now.